0: So, Zechariah 7 takes place two years after Zechariah 6. You sometimes you don't see that, but you see this clue. In the fourth year of King Darius, two years have passed since God spoke through Zechariah. In the second year of King Darius is when they finally started rebuilding the temple. In the sixth year of King Darius is when they'll finish the temple. So, this is right in the middle of the temple rebuilding project. Zechariah's first messages were all focused on... Hey, let's, it's time. We need to rebuild the temple. And now in the middle of that project, two years later, we, we see God speaking through Zachariah Again, we don't know what Zachariah was doing in this two years of silence. We, we, don't, we, we don't have that for our records to show. I'm, I'm, I would imagine he was sleeping better. But we don't know exactly what he's been doing. He's probably rebuilding the temple. All those different kinds of things are going on. But there's an occasion here that causes God to speak through his prophet again. In Zechariah chapter 7, there's this delegation that comes from the city of Bethel, this town that's north of Jerusalem, several, several miles north of Jerusalem. It was actually part of the northern kingdom before the fall of Jerusalem. And there's people that have come back from the exile and they've settled in Bethel. And, and you can kind of imagine they've They've heard what's going on in Jerusalem. They've settled and made their house and their home, and they're, uh, they're, they're starting their life over again in Bethel. But they've heard Jerusalem is rebuilding the temple. The people are there. They're rebuilding the temple. The temple's being built, uh, established again. They're about halfway through that project. They've, they've probably heard that there's a prophet, that there's prophets again in Jerusalem speaking the words of the Lord. And so they have questions, and they want to they get those questions answered. So they send this delegation to ask the question. They come and they ask the question of the priests, the leaders of the house of the Lord, and of the prophets. And the question is, as you see it in verse three, should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I've done for so many years? So their question is about fasting. So I, I think in order to understand that, let me, we need some background. So in the Old Testament, there was one commandment to fast, and it was on the Day of Atonement. So that, that day, once a year, where the high priest would cleanse himself and go into the Holy of Holies to make an atoning sacrifice for the sins of all the people, that was called the Day of Atonement. And that's the day they were commanded to fast. There's no other commandment to fast in the Old Testament. But after the fall of Jerusalem, when, when Jerusalem was destroyed by Babylon and the people were taken to exile, they, they developed four specific fasts to commemorate what happened, that tragedy. And those fasts were very specific because they, they, they pointed back to, to days and events that happened that led to the exile. So they had a fast in the 10th month of the year, and that was the fast that they observed the day when Babylon's army came, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar came and set up his siege, blocked off the city, and basically announced his plans to attack. And so, in the 10th month, on a certain day, they would fast on that day because that was the day that Nebuchadnezzar came and he set up his siege. And Nebuchadnezzar came obviously because he was uh, expanding his chocolate factory and he needed to take over Jerusalem to put another chocolate factory there. Chocolate was a growing franchise then. Anybody? Veggie Tales? Did you learn your Bible from Veggie Tales or not? Okay, so that's not exactly what was happening, but it's close enough for a Veggie Tales. So, in the fourth month, There was a day that they would would fast because that was the day that the attack began and they breached the walls. the, The enemy army came through the walls, came over the walls, and began to attack. And so they would fast on the fourth month. In the seventh month, there was a day when the governor of Jerusalem at that time was murdered, Gedaliah was murdered. And so they would fast on the seventh month on the day that commemorated that. But these guys from Bethel are asking a question about the fast of the fifth month specifically. And on the fifth month, on the 18th day, they would fast because that was the day the temple was destroyed. That was the day Jerusalem was taken. That was the day the city was completely burned. That was the end of it all for them. And so here's what these guys are doing. They come and they're, they've heard about the prophets and they've heard about Jerusalem being rebuilt. They've heard the temple is being rebuilt. It's halfway done. And so their question is, should we keep fasting or should we stop? I mean, you kind of just put yourself in their position, they're like, okay, so we, we've been fasting on the fifth month, on the 18th day of the fifth month, and we do that because that was the day the temple was destroyed, but hey, you see, um, you, kind of, you guys are kind of building the temple again, making some pretty good progress. We're about halfway done. This is about to be done. This is about to be finished, so maybe we shouldn't be fasting for the temple that was destroyed when we have a new one right in front of us. It was just that kind of a question. Should we, should we maybe put that fast to bed? Like. Should, you know, on, the, on the 18th day of the fifth month from here on out, since we have a new temple almost ready, like maybe we could eat some falafel. Maybe a little shawarma would be nice on that day. I could go for some shawarma on the 18th day of the fifth month. Should we fast or not? So that's why they're asking the question. It's a simple question. It's a yes or no question, isn't it? Well, that's, that's not exactly what they get. They don't, They don't get... In fact, their question, I think they asked it, and they got way more than they bargained for. But this has happened to you before, hasn't it? Students, I know you're in here. I don't know where you are. You're not here, but you're all scattered around. But I know this has happened to you probably pretty recently. Because you probably went in and asked a question to your mom or your dad. Let's be honest. It's probably your mom. And you asked a question to your mom, and you thought it was a simple question. Hey, mom, can I play video games with my friends? Hey, mom, can I go to my friend's house? Hey mom, can I have a friend over? It's a simple question, right? It's a yes or no answer. She says yes, you're happy. She says no, you're like, come on mom, like it's a yes or no. And then all of a sudden, you get way more than you bargained for because it's like, hey, can I play video games? Um, Can I go to my friend's house? And your mom looks at you and she says, is your room clean? (laughs) Are there clothes on your floor? When's the last time you've done laundry? Did you make your bed? Hey, how are your grades? Have you got that one grade up? Did you talk to your teacher? Do you need tutoring? Like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, they're like, get your brother in here. Get your sister in here. I saw some stuff on their floor, and I need to talk to everybody about the fact that you haven't done chores for three weeks. Everybody's in trouble because you wanted to play video games. And Zachariah kind of goes full mom on them in this moment. Like, hey, should we, should we fast or maybe not so much anymore? Verse 4, the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, say to all the people of the land and the priest, hey, go get your brother. <laughs> it's not just for Bethel right now. It's your sister, mom and them, everybody. Like this is for the, all the people and the priest. And here's the question. When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month, oh, and in the seventh, for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? When you eat and when you drink, don't you eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous, where their cities around her in the south and lowland were inhabited? Should we fast or not? To fast or not to fast? And Zachariah says, that's not the question. You're asking the wrong question. Because all that time you're fasting, I don't think you were fasting for me. Were you fasting for me? We, the English translation of this, the Hebrew is so much stronger. Because it, it, it says it twice. When you were fasting, did you fast for me? Even for me? Because he's pointing out, you weren't fasting for me. You, you weren't you weren't." That's not what you were doing. Which is so ironic, right? Because fasting is a self-denial. It's, it's sacrificing. It's denying yourself something. You know, we associate it with food. I'm not going to eat food on this day or for this time period because I'm going to set myself aside and focus on something else. So I'm sacrificing something that I want. I'm denying myself something that I want. Maybe it's not food. Maybe it's social media or whatever. You say, I'm not going to do this for this amount of time. And so I'm denying myself, and what God is pointing out here is that you can do something that's self-denying and self-sacrificing for a selfish reason. Because what they had turned this into was a fast to mourn and have a pity party for what happened to them. And so when you see this passage and we see this rebuke that comes through Zechariah, you see this all these questions coming back at them. Were you even fasting for me? Why were you fasting? What were you doing? It gives us a chance to stop, examine ourselves, examine our hearts. Think about, okay, how does this apply? How does this help us? How should we respond to this? And I think it gives us a chance to kind of maybe look at three different aspects of this and three different questions that we can ask ourselves or three different warnings or caution flags for us to say, okay, make sure you're not doing this. And the first one maybe is the most important. is that make sure we aren't serving for the wrong reasons. When you were fasting, were you fasting for me, God says? Or were you fasting for yourself? Were you fasting so you would feel bad and feel sorry for what happened to you? Did you make the fasting all about you, or was you making that something that you were doing for God? And, and, and the problem with that is that it is so, so easy for me for you, for all of us, to serve for the wrong reasons. It, maybe fasting's not the thing that you're thinking about. Maybe you not walk in here thinking, I need to learn how to fast. Like right? that's not on most of our radars, but like serving God, worshiping, attending, being on a serving team. These are all good things. There's all things that we need uh, all of us to do and be involved in and be a part of the team and helping to contribute and helping to build the church and all those things, but it's so easy to do them for the wrong reason. It's so easy to sign up on a serving team or to finally surrender to the request and do it for the wrong reason. Sometimes it's how we feel about serving. It makes me feel good, it makes me feel like I'm part of it. It's not a bad thing, but if that's the reason why we do it, it can be a bad thing. Or maybe it's how we look. Like, hey, yeah, if they see me serving, people will think I'm really committed. People will think I'm really can be counted on. And how we look and how we feel as we're serving, as we're engaging. And Zachariah, God is pointing out through Zachariah that we can serve for the wrong reasons. and We need to watch our hearts. We need to be careful. We need to make sure we aren't doing that. We need to make sure we're serving for the right reason. You, you can attend worship services for the wrong reason. We, we do it all the time. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of reasons that we attend worship services that are our benefit. I mean, we, we say that all the time in here, that we should gather here. This should be a priority. Sunday should be the day that my family, our family, we go and worship with God's people. Because when we gather with God's people and we worship with God's people, we're encouraged and we're reminded. Because all week long, we have all these other voices in our in our life, all these other voices from the world that are telling us to find our satisfaction over here, to pursue this. And, to, and we drift away from the truth of who God is and how great He is and how He should be the one that we value and treasure. We truth. We drift away from the truth of who we are in Christ and we start trying to find our identity all these other places that can't satisfy us. And so every Sunday we get together with God's people and be reminded of who God is And we're reminded of our identity, who he says we are, and that's more important than anything else. And so there's a lot of benefit there. And for you as a parent to make this gathering a priority for your family is communicating something to the next generation that they will catch on to. And when you don't make it a priority and you don't consistently come and worship with God's people, your kids will get it even less than you have. So there's a lot of benefits for that. When I gather with God's people and we sing these songs of truth and the gospel, and and I'm remembering who I am in Christ, I'm remembering what he's done for me, I'm remembering that I had no chance without him, and I want to praise him. All this is amazing. And then I look around and I see you guys singing the songs, and that's a part of this as well. I'm encouraged. I need that. There's so many blessings that come to us. When we are serving, when we're engaging, when we're worshiping, when we're gathering God's people. But we can come in here for the wrong reason. Have you ever left and said, I didn't get a whole lot out of that that day. Hopefully not out loud, but you kind of thought that, right? Have you ever left and said, I need to pray for Pastor Shue more, that he'll have more time to prepare. You do need to pray for that, but like, have you ever thought, like, I didn't get, man, I don't know if they sang my favorite songs today. I was really hoping they would sing something else. I didn't kind of like, it's so easy to walk in here and make this all about us, and that's the problem. That's the bit. We are always wired to make everything about us, and of all those reasons that we would gather here together on Sunday, is all those reasons that you would serve, like, all that. like, Why do we get up? Why do we do this? Why do we gather and we sing and we sit under the teaching of his word? All those benefits, they're all great and they're all true. But here's the best answer to the question, why do we do this? Why do we gather? Because our God is so great, he is worthy of our praise. That's why we gather. It's all about him. It's not about us. He's so great. He rescued us. He sent his son to die in our place on a cross. I had no hope without him. And so I'm going to come. I'm going to make this a priority. I'm going to worship him today. I'm coming for him, for his glory. I'm I'm going to be there. I'm going to pour out praise to him. I'm going to worship him. That's why you come. Now, here's the beauty of that. When we worship him, we find our satisfaction. When we worship him, we find joy. When we worship him, we find joy purpose and meaning and everything we're looking for. So there's always a byproduct. You come for him, you come I'm I'm here for God to bless him, to praise him, and he pours that back on us and we find all the benefits. But it's it's a matter of getting it in the right perspective. Man it's it's so easy. I mean, I can do all this for the wrong reasons. I can do all this for, I hope I get good feedback. I hope somebody likes it. I hope that they think I'm funny. I can do it all, but it's so easy to shift just a little bit. <laughs> we can come to church, which is such a good thing. We can come to worship for the wrong reasons. This morning, <laughs> I was out doing a cycle now this weekend. I got in really late, and I got up early this morning to kind of work through this because I knew some of you were praying that I would have more time to prepare. And... I sat down at my desk, and I turned to plug in my computer, and I looked, and there was dog vomit right there. (laughs) And that's the way you want to start the Lord's Day. (laughs) And I looked over at that, and I was like, "I, I am not messing with that. Those aren't my dogs. And Dub got up. And he looked at it. I showed it to him. And he goes, I'm going to clean that up when I wake up. And I'm like, what are you, sleepwalking? What's going on? And he went back in and went to bed. And then Glory got up, and I pointed out, because it was really the dog that she loves the most. And she looked at that, and she said, oh. And then she turned around, and she said, I have to go to church. <laughs> oh, you have to go to church. Okay. All of a sudden, that was a really, really important thing in her life. We all do it. Get up and we come on here thinking, what am I going to get out of this? What can I expect? I hope this happens for me. You've got to say, make this about him. Everything else will fall into place. You make this about him. So make sure we aren't serving for the wrong reasons. And the second thing is just right along with that. Make sure we aren't mourning the consequences more than the sin. That's really what the problem was here. What what are they fasting about? The day the walls were breached, the day they set up the siege, the day that they murdered the governor, the day that the temple was destroyed. And it's all these consequences of their behavior. God had promised this was coming. He had promised this discipline was coming. If his people continued to worship idols and false gods, he said, I'm bringing discipline to you. And it all happened just like God said. You're going to be taken into exile. He had a promise that he would restore them. But all this has happened because of their disobedience, because of their walking away, because of their worshiping a false god. That's why it's happening. And in the midst of this, they begin to just mourn the consequences instead of what caused the consequences. And it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to just think about all the bad stuff that's happening, and the consequences of our sin, consequences of our behavior, and not mourn the sin. What God wants for them is to mourn the sin that brought the consequences. And it seems like the same thing, but it's a subtle difference that makes a huge difference. Because here's what happens when we mourn the consequences more than the sin, is we forget why we, how we got here. I mean, have you ever talked to somebody and they're like, yeah, I know I haven't been doing the things that God wants me to do. And what you're seeing in your mind is they've stepped outside of the blessing of God. They've stepped outside of his boundaries. He he puts boundaries in our lives for our benefit. So show us this is the way life is supposed to be lived. This is abundant life, purpose, meaning. And when we step out of that, I know know I'm supposed to be doing this, but I've been doing this. I've stepped outside of those boundaries. And then that person looks at you and they are like, I don't know why God's letting all this stuff happen to me hmm, our God is a good father and a good father disciplines his children that he loves. And when we step out of bounds, when we step out of His plan for our lives, He will bring discipline. Why? Because He wants to turn our hearts back to Him. He wants to bring us back, and He knows that discipline will do that if He'll He'll turn it up a little bit. If we're mourning the consequences and we're forgetting about the sin that caused the consequences, then we will start asking those questions Why would God do this to me? I don't understand. I don't think I can trust Him. He doesn't want me to be happy. And they were just mourning the consequences. They weren't repenting from the sin that caused it in the first place. They were forgetting that. And so there's a, there's a strong warning here. Make sure we aren't mourning the consequences more than the sin. And I think another thing that you can say there is that, that we need to make sure we aren't seeking new experiences over God's Word. Hey, there's a prophet in Jerusalem. Finally, again, a prophet speaking the words of God. Let's go hear what the prophet has to say. Maybe he has a new word. That's what they go. Hey, what should we do? Tell us, prophet, you speak for God. And what does he say in verse 7? Hey, were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets? You already have God's word. You don't need a new word. You don't need a new idea. You had God's word, and you, your fathers, they disobeyed it. They rejected it. They didn't listen to it. You already have it. And it's so easy for us to start seeking some new truth. Man, I sure hope I learned something new today. Chances are high, because you haven't probably had a quiet time in Zechariah for a while. <laughs> you might learn something new, but that's the problem. We come into this like, oh man, I hope I heard, I hope, hope Kai will teach me something new today. I really need something new. I need a fresh word. Man, we already have his word. We don't need a new truth. We need to be reminded of these truths that are timeless. And it's really easy when you start down that path to start valuing the experience more than God's Word, to elevate the experience. And then we start saying things that are crazy if you just wrote them down. We're like, yeah, well, I know that that's what God's Word says, but that's not how I feel. I know God's Word says that, but my friend did this, and it seems like that's the way they want it. Like, <laughs> we cannot, We got we to gotta caution ourselves. we got to watch out this idea of value valuing an experience over what God says in his word. This is all we need. Zachariah said, you don't need a new word from me. You've already had these words. The prophets have already said this. And so make, make sure that we aren't doing that. Make sure we aren't serving for the wrong reasons. Make sure we aren't mourning the consequences more than the sin. Make sure we aren't seeking these new experiences instead of God's word. And I know this all sounds pretty like negative. It's a warning passage. I promise I softened it as much as I can. The first time I wrote these points, I said, it's worthless when we do this. I'm like, that doesn't sound like, that's something Zachariah would say. I don't think I can say that. Worthless? Really? But I don't want you to miss it. I mean, I I said, hey, let's make sure, let's make sure we're not doing this, okay? I mean, probably not you, probably not me, but somebody in here. (laughs) Let's make sure. But I don't want you to miss how strong this really needs to be. There's another prophet named Amos. Well, he actually said he wasn't a prophet or the son of a prophet, whatever that means, but he he ended up being a prophet. Um, And here's what he said in Amos chapter five, verse 21 through 24. I want you to to take it in, so the words will be on your screen. God speaking through Amos, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. What? People gathered together. They sang the songs. They made the sacrifice. And God said, take that away. Why? They honor me with their lips and their hearts are far from me. That's the warning. Jesus came and proclaimed that message. So the answer is not to stop serving. Well, I haven't been doing this for the right reason, so I'm taking myself off the team. No, our children's ministry team will be mad at me if that happens. Let's align our hearts. Let's, let's come back to center. Let's remember that we do this for His glory and not mine. Let's make sure we aren't doing this. But here's what God says. When, you, when your hearts are out of whack, when we're doing it for selfish reasons, God is saying, I, that's not what I want. That's not what I'm looking for. The last verse of this says, But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Which gives you a hint where Zachariah's going with this. He's going to say, that's not what I want. Here's what I want. You're talking about fasting. Here's the fasting that God desires. And Zechariah says it in verse 8. Another word of the Lord came to Zachariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. So the fasting that God desires is for us to seek justice, for us to show kindness and mercy to others, and to give compassion to those in need. And we could say a whole lot about each and every one of those things. I, w- I don't want to get too far down in the details of it. I want to. I want to point out this: when Zechariah says, "Here's what God requires. Here's what God's looking for," he points back to God's character. Don't miss that. He's pointing back. Hey, you know who? You know what God is like? He's a God of justice. God is a God of mercy. His kindness leads us to repentance. He's the God who shows compassion to all those in need. He's the father to the fatherless. He's a compassionate God. And so Zachariah says, you want to know what God wants? You know what kind of self-sacrifice God is looking for here? The kind of fasting he really is desiring is for you to take on the character of God, to become like God, to become like Jesus. That's his goal for us, is to follow him and to become like Jesus, that we would align our lives with God's heart, and we would seek justice, and we would show kindness and mercy to others, and we would show compassion to those in need. We'd give them that. It, this kindness and mercy, he says it, and then he comes back and says, oh, and don't do evil to one another. It seems like it all should be one thing, but he says it two different ways, so maybe you ought to at least underline it. Show kindness, show mercy. Don't, don't treat people wrong. Don't, don't be evil. Don't be mean. He's pointing back to God's character. He's reminding us of who God is and what he's like. He's reminding us that God is a God of justice and mercy and kindness towards us and compassion towards us. And so the other thing that this whole thing should point us to is the fact that our justice-seeking and our kindness and our mercy-giving and our compassion-showing is only a response to who God is and what he's done for us. Don't make that mistake of thinking that, well, okay, I need to to do these things. I need to seek justice and be kind so that God will be okay with me. No, no, we do it because God has decided to show his love to us. We do it as a response to that. We're not earning anything by these things. We're showing, hey, God has been merciful to me. God has been compassionate to me. God has been loving towards me. He's forgiven me. And so it starts to fill up in me what God has done for me, and then it begins to spill out on others, begins to overflow. And that's what he's pointing us to. Think about who God is and his character. Let that fill you up, and then look around at the world, and instead of making it all about you, pour it out to others. Seek justice. Show kindness, give mercy, display compassion to those in need. This is the kind of fasting that God desires for us to be like Jesus because of who Jesus has been to us, because of his sacrifice for us. Zechariah said, the prophet's already told you this. You don't need me to tell you, but I'll tell you again. But here's the prophet Isaiah way before Zechariah saying the exact same thing. Isaiah 58, verse 6 and 7. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh?' Isaiah said it. God said it through Isaiah. Here's the fasting. Seek justice. Show kindness and mercy. Give out compassion. Help people in need. That's what we want to do. Why? Because that's what God has done for us. Because of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. Because of his death on the cross. Because of the sacrifice he made. We can let that love overflow from us to the world around us. We want to be about that, but we want to do it for the right reasons because of our understanding of who he is. Now, here's the deal. There's two responses to this. There's two ways you can go with this whole information, this whole rebuke, this whole challenge, this whole teaching. One way is to refuse it. Say, now, I, I'm going to reject that. I'm not going to. In fact, they went way beyond this. I want you to see this in verse 11. But they refused to pay attention, and they turned a stubborn shoulder, and they stopped their ears that they might not hear. That's pretty significant antagonism there. Like They, they refused to pay attention, turned their stubborn shoulder, stopped up their ears, not listening to this. It goes on to say, They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words of the Lord of hosts has sent by His Spirit through the former prophets. They hardened their hearts. They refused to listen. The person that does this basically said, I don't think I can trust God. He's not for me. He's going to take away my joy. He's he's trying to take the things that really bring me joy and happiness in life. He's trying to take those things away. They don't understand the boundaries are there for our protection. They don't understand his heart. They don't understand his character. They've missed out. They've forgotten about his mercy, his kindness, his compassion, his love, all those things. And they look at him like, I can't trust him, so I'm not going to listen. And don't be that. Don't do that. Here's what God says about that. Verse 13. This, This should scare all of us. God says, I called... And they would not hear. So, they called, and I would not hear. I called them. I told them. And they didn't listen. Stopped up their ears. They refused to listen. And then they got in trouble. The consequences came. Instead of repenting, instead of mourning it, they just called out for help, and I, I didn't listen to them. They didn't listen to me, I didn't listen to them. Don't refuse. take take the warning. God is angry at their rebellion, at their refusing to listen to the prophets, refusing to listen to him and his word. There's another alternative for you. Instead of refusing, you can repent. The other response is to repent. The the book of Zechariah, that's the theme, return to me. He says it in the very first prophecy, in the first chapter, and he's repeating it here because Zachariah is a good preacher and he knows that people forget all the time and they need to hear the same things over and over. They don't need to hear new truth. They need to hear a reminder of it. And so he's, he's basically saying here, turn back to God. Return to God. Repent. This scary thing where it says here that God said, you, you didn't listen to me when I called, so when you call, I'm not going to listen to you. Hey, Jesus Christ took that away. When we call to Jesus, he's granted us access to God because of his death in our place on the cross. And so we call to him. God does not turn a deaf ear to us anymore. He took it away. It doesn't matter how bad you've been, how far you've run, how much you've messed it up. Maybe it was your whole life has been running, or maybe it's just this last week you ran too far in the wrong direction. When you turn back to him, when you repent, turn away from your sin, turn back to Jesus, he's there with open arms saying, come on back. He welcomes us back. His kindness, his mercy, his grace, his love poured out on us. You can't mess this up too bad for him to stop loving you. He's going to continue to welcome you back. And so the answer to this, when you've done stuff for the wrong reasons or you've ran far from him or you didn't trust him, the answer is to repent. Turn back to him and receive his kindness, receive his compassion, receive his love, and come back to where you need to be. That's the answer for all of us. Jesus has made that answer possible for us. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Not because we've done this right. We've messed it up. We approach the throne of grace with confidence because Jesus was perfect and he gave us his obedience and his righteousness. He made a way where there was no way. So we worship him because of his greatness. He's the one worthy of our praise. We worship him as we gather. We worship him with our lives. And we do it for him, and then we reap benefits all along the way. Let's be the people that do that. Let's pray. God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for all of it. And thank you for your love. The way, the way that you love us, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. It, it's abundant, it's unconditional, it's, it's beyond what we can describe. At the same time, God, your, your love sometimes is, is a tough love. You speak the truth to us. You point out the things that we need to turn away from. And so, God, help us as we hear your word to not just hear it, but to be doers, to respond, turning away from our sin, turning back to you, aligning our hearts, serving you, worshiping you, for the right reasons, because of your greatness, because you're the one worthy of being praised. And God, we ask all that for your glory through your Son, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.